0: So today we continue our journey through uh, the book of Ruth. Pastor, I have no notes. Help a sister out and prompt me a little more, please. Okay, I'll try my best, whoever you are. (laughs) I brought those notes to the other campus. We must not have gotten them here. But let me tell you, these notes right here are sizzling hot, baby. I'm telling you right now. Next time, you might want to use a bigger font on that message. Just saying, I ain't a spring chicken anymore. We're walking through Ruth. We're in chapter three. Last week, we started chapter three. Today, we're going to finish chapter three. Our preaching series has uh, had to be um, uh, changed a little bit. And so next Sunday is the last sermon in Ruth. Next Sunday is the last sermon, chapter four. We're going to cover chapter four in one sermon. Bring your tennis shoes. Be ready to run. You guys got to listen fast next week because we're going to go through that chapter and finish up the book of Ruth next Sunday. Then we start a new series called Gear Up, and we'll be you'll be hearing a lot more about that uh, in the days to come. And we'll be talking about the armor of God, the armor of God over in Ephesians chapter six. So I would encourage you to go ahead and read that. Go ahead and get over there and read those uh, different pieces of the armor of God as we talk about that beginning two weeks from today. This is the sixth message in the series on Ruth. It is, again, the second and final message on Chapter 3, and next week we'll cover Chapter 4. Um, let me give you the hashtag for this media um, Uh, For social media, if you're going to put a comment on social media, hashtag radical love. That way we can all see it and all read it. Sermon notes, if you would like those, use that email address right there. And say, I'd like pastor sermon notes on Ruth or the third message in chapter two or whatever. Even though there wasn't a third message in chapter two. But anyway, I'll make something up. Uh, The scene we have today is about steps that Naomi told Ruth to take. And Ruth is a picture of? us and Boaz is a picture of Jesus and and Ruth wants to have an intimate close relationship with Boaz as a matter of fact she wants him to marry her and so Naomi is giving Ruth advice on how to get close to Boaz Ruth tells or Naomi tells Ruth five specific things to do to get close Boaz. So these are five specific things we need to do to get close to Jesus. Y'all with me out there? And so last week we talked about number one. Let's go to the scripture and read it together. Ruth chapter three, verse three. So here are the five things. Therefore, everybody say these two words right here. Therefore, Wash. wash yourself. And this is what we're going to talk about today. Anoint yourself. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man Boaz until he is finished eating and drinking. Next verse. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies down and you shall go in and uncover his feet and lie down. That's the fourth thing. And the fifth thing is, and he will tell you what you should do. Five things Uh, five practical steps that will draw you nearer to the Lord Jesus. Let's vote on something. Who's for getting closer to Jesus? Who who would say, I'm for that, I vote for that, I want that in my life. That's what we're talking about today. Ruth, if you want to get closer in your relationship with Boaz, if you want to marry him one day, here's what you need to do. Number one, wash yourself. And of course, in a practical sense, we know that in a very um, uh, human sense that, that anytime you want to get to know someone better, it's always better to bathe. Amen. Amen. Um, so, so she tells her, Wash yourself. So the, the point being for us, the, uh, the application for us being to be clean, to come before the Lord clean. Here's what number one was talking about. You've got to be, and guys, I got to tell you, this is so important. This is so important, and I've got to hit it and move on because we preached on it last week. <clears throat> if you want to be close to Jesus, you've got to be honest about your life. When sin creeps into your life, you've got to go ahead and own it. Don't hide it. Don't pretend it isn't there. Don't make excuses for it. Don't blame other people. When sin comes into your life, and how many of you know Christians do sin? And when we sin, the best way, I'm, t- I'm telling you, here's another name the young people will not recognize, but I will always preach on this guy, Barney Fife. <laughs> and I love some Barney Fife theology because Barney said when trouble comes, you've got to nip it. Who remembers that? Oh, man, don't even look at the color ones. The black and white, they're the only good ones. Can I give amen on that? I mean, when Barney left, they should have just shut the whole thing down. But Barney said, "Anybody with wisdom believes in Bud Nipping." I mean, that was his uh, I paraphrase Barney today. But that's how you deal with sin when it creeps in your life. Don't ignore it. Don't pretend it isn't there. Don't justify it. Own it. Own it. Get on your face before God. Bring it to Him, and He will apply the same cleansing blood. To your life as a Christian, to wash away that sin that He applied to you when you were born again initially, when you came to Him in the beginning. He will wash it out of your life because of the subtle nature of temptation. Temptation is very subtle. The enemy will never meet you in the middle of the road and put up his dukes and say, Let's go a couple of rounds. He's a terrorist. He's going to come at you when you're not looking, He's going to come at you from behind. He's a coward. And so he's going to tempt you subtly. When you combine subtle temptation with our nature as humans to justify our sin, you've got a combination there for some real trouble and some real separation between you and God. So constant, honest evaluation um, reveals the sin through the Word of God, through prayer. Sin is revealed. And the word of God also provides solution and prayer provides solution. Step number two. Step number two, fresh material. In getting to know Jesus more intimately, Ruth 3, 3, anoint yourself. This here's here's the application for us. Allow the Holy Spirit to cover your life. Allow the Holy Spirit to cover your life. So we're going to talk about (coughs) excuse me. We're going to talk about some phrases in the Bible today that maybe you've heard in passing or maybe you've heard them all of your life, but we talk about being anointed with the Holy Spirit. We talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit. We talk about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. We baptize. When we baptize you, we're going to wet you all over. We're going to mess up your hair. And there is a baptism in the Holy Spirit that is available to you. There is an infilling of the Holy Spirit that is available to you. And the primary purpose of it of this anointing, of this empowerment, of this third person of the Godhead in your life is to empower you to function in this world for the cause of Christ until he comes. Do you hear what I just said? That's why you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. You go to a lot of churches today and, and the baptism in the Holy Spirit is for your enjoyment. You just come to church and enjoy the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you that is not the primary reason of the baptism in the Holy Spirit? The primary reason of being filled with the Holy Spirit, anointed by the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit is not for your enjoyment. It is for your employment. It empowers you to do. It empowers you to serve. It empowers you to be Jesus to the people around you. You know, I noticed that... um, She comes to Ruth and says, hey, Ruth, you're all cleaned up now. You know, you washed yourself. Now break out that Chanel number five. Is that still a perfume? You remember, you know, the kids are in camp. Y'all remember summer camp? I mean, I'm 59 years old almost. I will be in October, October 16th, and I wear a double bubba for those of you who are (laughs) going to buy me something. But, um, um, When I was in youth camp, when I was 13, 14 years old in youth camp, you know, bathing was not a primary. (laughs) It was not a a priority, but the cologne was. (laughs) Y'all with me? So at the end of the day, I mean, if you're smelling a little funky, you just get some cologne out. How many of y'all remember old school cologne? How many of y'all remember... English leather. <laughs> had a little kerosene smell. You know, I mean? it, came, it had that big wooden top on it. Y'all remember that? It took, it took a middle heart out of an oak tree to make the lid. I mean, who used English leather? Come on, man. That stuff was awful. <laughs> and then if you wanted to really go high class, you got you some Stetson. Because it, <laughs> it cost $2 more than the English leather. I mean, that was the real expensive stuff. Came in a nicer box. Still had a little hint of kerosene, but still. So I remember at the end of the day at camp, I would just, I would just go, and then I'd go, ah, oh, you know, and put that cologne on, and the girls would go, interesting. <clears throat> so <laughs> Naomi's telling Ruth, before you anoint yourself with that perfume, wash yourself. Wash yourself. Then anoint yourself. You know what? You know what Naomi's saying to Ruth? Be nice to be near. And that's how we want to prepare for our time with Jesus. We want to cleanse, we want the anointing of the Holy Spirit on us. And then we are nice to be near, we are nice for Him. To be near. You enter the presence of Boaz, you enter the presence of Jesus, cleansed and anointed. And I noticed when I was studying this whole anointing thing that brides were anointed, but also priests were anointed. You know, the Bible tells us in the writings of Peter that now we are a royal priesthood. And if the priest needed anointing back then, then we need that anointing now. And the anointing, Back then, for the priest, was a picture of consecration. It was a picture of being set aside or set apart or sanctified for a particular purpose. And then when I thought about all this uh, sweet smell and all this perfume and all of that, there are just so many places we could go. We could talk about Mary, you know, and how Mary broke the box of spikenard, of ointment, of perfume, and poured it all over Jesus. And I've preached on that many, many times. But I thought about this... uh, This book in the Bible that we don't read very much that we should read a lot more often because it will help your marriage and it will help you understand your relationship with Jesus and that is the Song of Solomon. Can I just tell you that if your romantic life has been kind of low lately, you and your wife ought to break out the Song of Solomon in the message and read it to each other. It will fire you up, sister (laughs) and brother. Matter of fact, let me just read to you out of chapter one. And and let me just go and warn you, this could make you blush. Now, back then, they complimented women in different ways. There, There are some ways that they complimented women back then that, guys, you can't compliment women now because of the different culture. In other words, you cannot tell your wife that her teeth looks like a flock of goats. Now, back then, that was really awesome, but today, that's not good. That is not good. So... In chapter 1, and I'm not going to pick out the verses. You can read it on your own. He says, when my, she says, the, this is the bride talking. Who's the bride? We are. We are. So when the bride says, and this is so, this is such a coincidence here. Because it says, when my king lover lay down beside me. Which just happens to be the exact thing Millie calls me. Her king lover. <laughs> and when I read that, I was like, I cannot believe How biblical we are in my house. (laughs) It gets worse. (laughs) When my king lover lays down beside me, listen to the bride talking about herself. And who's the bride? My fragrance filled the room. Now this next part I'm going to have to study a little bit. The head of my lover was a pouch of sweet myrrh. Anyway, there was some good smelling stuff going on there. My beloved is a bouquet of wildflowers picked just for me from the fields of Engedi. I don't even know what all that means, and it makes me want to kiss Millie right now. <laughs> chapter three, chapter four, the groom is here, and how much the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. Fra- uh, fragrant henna and spikenard and saffron and calamus and cinnamon. Now, all of those, I didn't know what any of those were until we got to cinnamon, and I love the way cinnamon smells. Cinnamon, Cinnabon, come on, amen. (laughs) Amen. Matter of fact, I really believe that Cinnabon is manna. I believe it's that manna. I I believe there will be Cinnabons in heaven. Come on, can I get a witness? Thank God for airports and malls, amen. You know, you get that Cinnabon, and then you get an extra thing of what? Icing on the side. <laughs> Who's had Cinnabon? Man, where are the rest of you people at? <clears throat> You'll feel anointed when you have some Cinnabon. <clears throat> With all the trees of, listen to these, listen to these uh, smells. With all the trees of frankincense and myrrh, where have we heard those before at Christmas time? with aloes and aloes with all the chief spices. And you might be sitting here today, okay, okay, pastor, okay. So I know that I need to be cleansed. I know that it is the word of God that cleanses me and obedience to the word of God. It is the blood of Jesus that cleanses me. So I get the part about me being cleansed. So pastor, how do I get anointed? What gives me that sweet smelling fragrance for my bridegroom, Jesus. And ladies and gentlemen, that is when you begin to pray and say, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Baptize me in the Holy Spirit. Anoint me with the Holy Spirit. Do you see the picture here? Do you see the picture of the bride cleansed and the bride now uh, anointed with the sweet-smelling fragrance coming into the presence of the groom, Jesus, being nice to be near, This is how we get closer to God. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you something. Last week I talked to you about praying, adding something to your prayer life, even if you didn't fully understand it. Do you all remember that long word I gave you last week that I told you to begin to pray and ask God for it? What was it? Sanctification. Sanctify me, cleanse me. So in your prayer life, I want you to begin to pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I want you to, let's take our prayer life to another level. You go, well, pastor, I think I've got to study that more. I think I've got to get some more understanding on that. Great, I hope you will. But you know what? You don't have to wait to pray for it. And say, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me with your power. Anoint me, God. Because I want your power on me because I'm going to serve you in this world. And when I serve you, watch this, I want there to be a cutting edge to my service. How many of you know, how many of you have tried to minister out of the anointing? Some of you have been Christians for a long time. You've tried to minister without the anointing. I'll raise my hand. I have. I've tried to get up here and preach without it. I've tried to say, well, I didn't have time to pray this week, and I didn't have time to seek God this week because I was really busy with a whole bunch of other stuff, so I just really, really studied, and I got a really, really great sermon, and I get up here, and it falls flat because the anointing makes the difference. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit makes the difference. And let me say to you that the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, that anointing of the Holy Spirit rests upon those who have come before God and said, wash me with your word. Cleanse me, sanctify me, that I might be then anointed. Am I making any sense up here today with the Holy Spirit? It gives power. It gives power to your ministry, whatever it is. Whatever it is, if you served in the parking lot, then it, it gives power to that. It makes, you, it makes people say, I don't know what that guy in the parking lot has got, but that's what I want. I told the staff this week when we were evaluating our services, I said, man, the joy level at the bridge this past Sunday, I'm talking about last Sunday, I said was high. Let me tell you about the joy level at the bridge. The joy level at the bridge is always high, but I'm telling you last week it was just, it was just super You know what I mean? When you walk in and and people have been through junk all week long and they've got bad news from the doctor and the kids aren't behaving and the blood pressure's high and the bank account's down and they just come in and forget all about that and remember who they are in Jesus and it just kicks that joy level right back up. That's the difference in a church that's making a difference in a community when you can push aside the troubles of life because we're going to all have those and you can say, I want the I want to be washed before God. I want to be empowered before God. I want to be anointed before God because when I meet an unbeliever, when I meet someone who doesn't know Christ and doesn't know the Word, I want them to say this. I want them to say, I don't fully understand what that guy's got. I don't fully understand what that gal's got. But I got to tell you something. I think it's what I'm looking for. I think it's what I'm looking for. Your life is a lesson. Your attitude Man, if you're one of those Christians looks like you got baptized in vinegar, go to church somewhere else, because you are hurting what we're trying to do around here. Can I preach like that? You say, well, I've just got a bunch of stuff. Hey, we all got a bunch of stuff. I've got some things going on in my life right now, my personal life right now, that if I let those things, they would overwhelm me, and I wouldn't be a joyful person. But I tell you, when I rise on Sunday morning, I say, God, I'm walking out there to the bridge, I've got to to show your love. I've got to show your joy. Father, wash me, cleanse me. Don't let those negative thoughts and negative circumstances of my life take over. Anoint me, Lord. Touch me with your power and let me minister out of a heart of joy. How many of you know joy is attractive? People are looking for joy. They're looking for a joyful church. They're looking for a church that they know even though the people go through difficult times, that you can always count on the joy. So the anointing is that sweet fragrance of the Holy Spirit on your life. Look at 1 John 2, 27. But as for you, the anointing, that is the sacred appointment, the unction, the unction. How many of you ever heard the word Unction. If I ask you to define it, could you define it? You say, not really. But let me ask you this. Have you heard preachers that had unction and preachers that did not have unction? (laughs) You say, then you know what it is. It is that power it is that power that when a person begins to sing or when a person begins to speak or when a person begins to teach or when a person is just ministering in the foyer or ministering in the parking lot or ministering at one of our outreach events at the prison or, or feeding the hungry or whatever, that unction, that's that cutting edge, that's that power that God puts on you and people, God really can't explain it. But when that guy speaks, when that guy sings, when that girl sings, when that person testifies, when that person comes to feed the hungry, when that person ministers, in the prison, there's just something different about them. It's that unction. It isn't them. It's that Holy Spirit. It's that anointing. Y'all with me out there? But as for you, the anointing which you receive from Him. It's not something you work up. It abides permanently in you. So then you have no need that anyone should instruct you. Now, that doesn't mean if you have the anointing, you don't need a Bible teacher. You have to understand the context of that. There were false teachers coming in, and he said, listen, let me tell you something. You want to know a false teacher when you hear one? You let the anointing of the Holy Spirit be on you, and out of that anointing, there will come a discernment. And, And teachers will try to speak into your life, and you will recognize that, that it is not God, and you don't need that kind of person instructing you. That's what that's talking about. doesn't mean you don't need a Bible teacher that knows God and loves God. Look at the rest of this verse. It's a long one. But just as his anointing what teaches you concerning how much and is true, and is no falsehood, so you from Him, so you must abide in. That means live in, never depart from him. And and what is our position in him? Being rooted in him, knit to him, just as his anointing has taught you to do. Oh man, there's so much there, I can't preach it. I gotta move on. But you ought to order these notes and you ought to look that up and you ought to study that, break it down. The anointing is the presence of God, the power of God. When I'm cleansed by the precious blood of Jesus, when I'm anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit, then when I come before Jesus, here's what he does. He goes... I like that. I like that. Pharaoh is washed. Pharaoh is anointed by my Holy Spirit. He's nice to be near. Are y'all with me? So important. This is so important. So important in your walk with God. The sweet fragrance of the Holy Spirit on our lives makes it pleasant for the bridegroom to be with us so that he might empower us and so he might meet our needs think about it your life can be a sweet smell to god which tells me that your life can also stink but your life can be a sweet smell to god can we pray a prayer right now will you pray this after me dear lord wash me anoint me that my life might be a sweet smell in your nostrils. That's awesome. So the third step Naomi tells Ruth to take in her effort to draw near to Boaz. Number three, Ruth three and three, put on your best clothes. All right, girl, you washed up. You got on the Chanel number five. You ready to roll. Now don't get out your bad stuff. Get out your good stuff. Get out your good clothes. Ruth, wear your best. Dress up. You're going to see Boaz, honey. You're a widow. You've been wearing your garments of mourning. You've been wearing your clothing of a grieving widow. And and, uh, you've also been working out in the fields, you know, gleaning out in the fields, and your clothes are dusty and dirty. She says, Ruth, it's time to get rid of those clothes. Time to take off that mourning. Time to take off that grieving. Time to take off that dirty, dusty clothes. Get rid of those. It's time to dress up. You're going to meet Boaz. This is good news for Ruth. She's going to meet Boaz. That's good news. She's meeting her Redeemer. She's going to come face to face with her Redeemer. You know, the gospel's good news for us that Jesus, like Boaz, has made himself available to us. You know, isn't it wonderful that when you want to get hold of God, you don't have to call me? Isn't it wonderful that you don't have to go through somebody to get to Jesus? Isn't it wonderful that you got direct access? You've got direct access to God. You, don't, you know prayer lines are great and putting it on Facebook and saying pray and, but you know what I think we do sometimes? I think we do all that and then we don't pray. We tell everybody else to pray and then we don't pray. We tell everybody else lift me up I'm going through, oh, please everybody. But are you praying? Have you gone to the king? Have you knelt on your knees and cried out to him the way you've cried out to others on Facebook or email or phone number? This is so important. I want you to look at Isaiah sixty-one one through three. It's a messianic prophecy about who Jesus is and the power of the gospel. And Jesus repeats it in Luke four eighteen. But it, I want to read it from the Old Testament scripture, Isaiah sixty-one one through three. This is so powerful. The Spirit of the Lord God is where upon me, because He has what anointed me to bring good news. See the anointing is to serve. The anointing is to do something. The anointing is not for your enjoyment, even though we do enjoy it, don't we? It is for your employment. He has anointed me to bring good news. Now this is a messianic prophecy of what Jesus was anointed to do. But ladies and gentlemen, we are the body of Christ and he has anointed us now that we would bring the good news to the world. We are the church. We are the bride of Christ. Jesus went away and said, greater things the church will do. And that means more, not greater in magnificence, but greater in number to bring good news to the afflicted. This is Jesus. This is that messianic future prophecy. He, Jesus, God, the Father, has sent me, Jesus, to bind up the brokenhearted. But now we're the church in the world, and whose job is it? It's our job through him. Through him to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Think about Ruth. She was brokenhearted. She was afflicted. To proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, she was imprisoned in a way to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. And this deals with the judgment of God. It deals with the end times. And it it says, I'm anointed to comfort all who mourn. Think about Ruth. Mourning, grieving a widow. A widow to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them instead of that garment of of weightiness and that garment of grieving, that garment of mourning, I give them a garland instead of ashes, I give them a garland, and that garland being floral and beautiful and changing clothes here, the oil of gladness instead of um, fainting or mourning. Let's go to the next slide. He says, we're changing clothes here. Do y'all understand? You see the picture? We're changing clothes. We're taking off our grief. We're taking off our hopelessness. We're taking off our heaviness. We're taking off uh, that burdensome uh, um, clothes that we've been wearing. We're taking off the dirty clothes we've been wearing. wearing, And now he is putting on me the garment, the mantle, the garment of what? Everybody say it. Instead of the clothes I was wearing, which was the spirit of fainting or the spirit of heaviness. So they will be called oaks. See, when the anointing is on you, people see it. They see your strength and they know it's not you. They're called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. So much there, so much there we can't preach on, but you get the general idea. So she's telling Ruth to dress in preparation for meeting Boaz. She says, Ruth, put off your sorrow and put on beauty. Put off your mourning and put on joy. Put off your heaviness and put on the garment of praise. Let me ask you a question. How are we to come before Jesus? Listen to me. How are we to come before Jesus? Can I can I ask you to do something for me? If you want powerful services here at the bridge, take off the morning and put on the praise before you walk in on a Sunday. You know, it's easy to wear those cloaks of burden and, and, and heaviness and, and fainting. God's saying, change clothes. You say, yeah, but the circumstances haven't changed. But you can change clothes without the circumstances changing. And it could be that when you change clothes, the circumstances will then change. So take off that, take off that mourning and put on joy. The Bible says we're to come before the Lord no matter what's going on in your life. We don't get to choose that. You know what? I I know this is just for grown-up boys and girls now. This is just for the mature people sitting here. But you don't get to come into God's presence whining and complaining. You say, yeah, but things are bad. I understand that. But he's our king and he is worthy of us coming into his presence in joy, coming into his presence with praise, coming into his presence with thanksgiving. Do you understand you say, well, I would have to do that by faith. Right. Because when he sees you come to him in joy, when he sees bad things going on to you, in your life, but you still come into his presence in joy, it touches his heart. It moves his heart. It moves his heart to do miracles. When you come, well, you, when the bank account's low and you got laid off from your job, but you still come into his presence with thanksgiving, it moves him to work in your life and do miracles in your life. This is good preaching up here. When you come to him with praise, when you wear those clothes, it moves God to do awesome things in your life. But when you come before him, and this is not in your Bible, this is Pharaoh Hardison chapter 2, verse 8. But when you come into his presence with whining, you're probably going to go out whining. But when you come in with a heart of praise and thanksgiving, somebody said, I want Jesus to be real to me. Well, you know what you need to do? Take a few groans out of your prayers and shove in some hallelujahs. Take some moaning and groaning and whining out of your prayers and put some hallelujahs in there. Don't wait for circumstances to change to do that. Just go ahead and do it by faith. Just go ahead and do it and know my God reigns. He's on the throne. I know what's going on in my life. I know how it feels. I know it, I don't feel like praising. I don't feel like being joyful. I don't feel like being thankful, but I'm going to do it anyway because my king deserves that I would come into his presence in that way. Amen, amen? The Bible says in Psalm 100, verse 2, worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing. Now, some of you have heard you sing. You need to keep kind of love. That's a good thing about worshiping. When you're in your house by yourself, you can let it rip because you know you sound like Celine Dion to yourself. <laughs> but trust me, not to anybody else. So the Lord has a little button in heaven. When you come with your singing, he can make you sound like Celine. Hallelujah. <laughs> come before his presence with singing and joy. That's how we're to dress, dress up in gladness, dress up in joy, dress up in singing. Where do I get these clothes, Pastor? Look at Isaiah 61, let's jump down to verse 10, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for he has clothed me. That's where you get those clothes. See, it's not, you, you know, sometimes you hear me on a Sunday morning, I'll be cutting up with people and I'll go, how do you feel? Fake it till you make it, man. Fake it till you make it. You don't have to fake it till you make it. He will dress you. He will change your clothes. The Bible says, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. He will give you different clothes to wear. Listen, I'm not talking about He will change your circumstances so it's easy to wear those clothes. I'm telling you, he will put those clothes on you in the middle of your darkness. Because see, that's when people are moved to follow God. When you out of your dark times worship him. When you out of your difficult times are glad. When you out of your difficult times are filled with joy. People go, I don't get that. And you look at them and go, man, it isn't me, it's God. And they say, I want that in my life. I want that in my life. Look, Number four. She said, I want you to lie down at his feet. What's this a picture of? It is a picture of total commitment. You can't come into the presence of Jesus and go, Jesus, I want to come into your presence. I want to enjoy your presence. I want to enjoy the benefits of your presence. I want to enjoy all the joy and the happiness and and just the, the glory of your presence. But I can't commit to you, really. I kind of want to live my life the way I want to live it. Listen to me. Just like Ruth laid down at the feet of Boaz. Just like Ruth laid down at the feet of her Redeemer. That's what you got to do. And that's what I got to do. We got to lay down at his feet. The most sacred place in the world is you at the feet of Jesus. The most sacred place in the world is not that chair you're sitting in in this beautiful worship center. The most sacred place in the world is not this pulpit or this stage. The most sacred place in the world is at the feet of Jesus. Wholehearted surrender, full commitment. Ruth is placing herself under the lordship of Boaz, under the protection of Boaz. Is it possible for me to have intimacy with Jesus and enjoy the benefits of discipleship without committing to him? No. No. It's not possible. It's not possible. You have to ask yourself this morning, is Christ Lord of my life? Have I placed myself at his feet? And it reminds me of Mary again. Mary was always at the feet of Jesus all through the New Testament. And if you will notice and study her life, you will discover that Mary understood deep things that even his disciples didn't understand. There's a story when she pours the oil on Jesus and um, uh, uh, Judas comes out and criticizes her. Jesus uh, says, she understands something you don't understand. She's anointing my body for the burying. How did Mary get that? But the disciples didn't get it. None of Jesus' closest followers got it, but Mary, who was always at the feet of Jesus, she understood, I'm anointing him for the burying. Because you remember when Jesus died and the ladies went to anoint his body and he was in the tomb? Do you remember they met an angel? They thought it was the gardener of the cemetery. It was an angel, and that angel said, He's not here. He's risen. Why seek ye the living among the dead? He isn't here. See, if she hadn't anointed him that day, he would have never got anointed for his burying. Are y'all hearing me? It's the, that's where you get the deep things of God at the feet of Jesus. Let's look at number 5 and we're done. <clears throat> it Says, "And Boaz will tell you what to do." And this signifies obedience. See, here's what we're good at. Can I just say this? Somebody gave me a little plaque and we'll put up in my office and it says, so they gave it to me this morning. Did I say that out loud? I'm about to say something out loud and y'all are going to go, did he just say that out loud? I'm going to say it right now. You know what we're good at? We're good at, God, here's what I need you to do. But we're not good at, God, what would you have me to do? We're really good at, God, uh, heal me, God, financial, God, uh, my children, God, my marriage, God, I need this, I need, I need, I need, I need I need you to do, I need you to do, I need you to do. What about looking up to God and going, God, what would you have me to do? Let me tell you something. Obeying God is not saying, Lord, show me what your will is and then let me check it out and if if I feel like I can do it, I'll do it. That's not it. It's when you look up to heaven and go, God, whatever you say, whatever you say, Lord, I'll do it. Have you said that to God? If you will surrender your will to him, he will reveal his will to you. I don't know what God wants, man, I've been seeking God, and I don't just really know what God wants. Listen, when you surrender your will to him, he will reveal his will to you. Now, there's a couple of scriptures I was going to read, but I don't have time, but write them down. If you're taking notes, write down John 7, 17, and write down John 14, 21. Both of those are about obedience, obedience. Let's look real quick at John 14, 21. You guys got that one? Good. The person who has my commands and what? What does that mean? Obeys, does them. If, you know, you can have the Bible, you can have the Word of God, but not do it. He who has my commands and keeps them is the one who really loves me. And whoever really loves me, will be loved by my father and I too will love him and will show, reveal, manifest. See, there's that thing Mary got. See, she got some things revealed to her. She got some things manifested to her because she was at his feet obeying him. He said, I will reveal myself to him. I will let myself be clearly seen by that person and I will make myself real to him. If you do what? Obey. Obey. Oh, there's so much good stuff here. So Ruth says, or Naomi says to Ruth, to have a more intimate relationship with Boaz, you gotta wash yourself, anoint yourself, change clothes, put on your very best, lie down at his feet, and do what he says. Now, what was his response to her? And this is it, this is the end. I got one more colorful page of notes. Listen, what was his response to her? I don't have any more slides up on the screen, so just listen. When When she did all that, when she did those five things, Boaz did three things. In verse 8 and 9, he blessed her, the Bible says. In verses 11 through 13, he reassured her. He gave her confidence. He spoke peace to her anxious heart, and that's what so many of us need. When she did these five things to come into his presence, the Bible says in verse 15, he abundantly provided for her. So good. And then so Ruth leaves him. She leaves Boaz and she goes back to Naomi and Naomi says, What happened? What happened? What what was the deal? And and Ruth told her, and listen to what Naomi says to Ruth. She says, Now Ruth, wait. Now, Now you've got to wait. You have done what you're supposed to do. Now you just wait, my daughter. She says, Wait until you know how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest until he has settled it today. And I got to thinking about Jesus, our Boaz, and how he came in Bethlehem and they hated him. And they spit on him and they pierced him and they put a crown of thorns on his head. And they slapped him and they beat him and they mocked him. And I think about why didn't Jesus give up? They told lies on him. They fought against him from the moment he came into this world. As a matter of fact, while he was a baby, Herod tried to kill him. So from the moment Jesus arrived, they tried to destroy him and destroy him personally and physically and his reputation. Why didn't he just give up and go back to heaven and say, you know what, You, you human beings are not worth it. I'll tell you why, listen. Because Jesus had a work to do. He had to, listen, he had to settle it. Look what Naomi says to Ruth. She says, Ruth, you just wait now for the man will not rest until he settles this thing. And I think about how Jesus stayed, and how he stayed on the cross, and how they said, "If you're the son of God, come down, boy." You know, I'd have wanted to come down and go lightning bolt for you, you know, nuke you, microwave, not Jesus. Jesus stayed because he had to settle it. He had to settle it. Now listen, here's what Jesus said on the last thing he said on the cross, the last three words. It is finished, settled. So now we wait, we wait. We wait in his presence. We wait in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We wait because he's coming just like Boaz is coming. She said, Ruth you just wait now. He's gonna get this thing settled and then he's gonna come and we're waiting and before too long our Boaz is coming. He's coming. Hear the word of the Lord. It's tough to wait. It's hard to wait. But he's coming. Our Boaz is coming. And the people of the bridge said, amen.